0: McKinney Smith. In 2009, while going through a divorce, I decided to jump straight into entrepreneurship. In 2012, I lost my sister and asked myself, what legacy do I want to leave behind? Since then, I've become a serial entrepreneur, helping other women publish their books, produce their podcasts, and reach their big goals to walk in their greatness. I realized the importance of sharing our stories of resilience and how it can be another's guide to walk in a manner worthy of their calling. We are blessed to be a blessing. So get ready to be blessed with an inspiring testimony. Hey, Legacy Leavers. Thank you for joining us on the Walk in My Stilettos podcast, the top 1.5% most popular show in the world where we have conversations with amazing women that are letting us step into their shoes. I help women to own their voice so they can create impact, prosperity, and legacy. I get inspired when I see another woman succeeding, but what interests me more is her backstory and her mindset on how she got there. So today's guest is about to bless us with her testimony, and since you're already here, you may as well subscribe. Today we have Dr. Pamela Gurley. She's a retired United States Army veteran who holds a bachelor's in psychology a master's in health service administration, and a doctorate in management, as the CEO and founder of numerous companies that focus on unapologetic living and advocacy for others. Pamela is also an author to a series of books and has been featured in Forbes, New York Weekly, NBC, CBS, and much more. So please welcome to the show, Pamela Gurley.
1: Hello, hello. Hello. Thank you. (laughs) Yeah, thank you so much for having me on. I truly appreciate it. And, you know, when you have an opportunity to extend your voice on any level out in the atmosphere into the world, it's always a great thing. So I really do appreciate it. And I'm very honored to be here.
0: Well, thank you. I am truly honored that you've agreed to come on and to share your story with us. And I love everything that you're about. You know, I'm big on authenticity and being unapologetically yourself. So that is, I know, something that you are also passionate about. So I'm excited to have this conversation with you.
1: Yes, I'm excited too. I'm I'm ready.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Okay. So as an icebreaker question, because I believe like, you know, as women, we have all these different ideas and and titles and what we wanted to be is a little girl when our imaginations were vivid and we had this, I'm going to say this, you know, open freedom to be who we wanted to be before society tried to shape us into who they think we should be. I love to ask the women who come on the show, what did you want to be as a little girl? You know, I like to start there before we get to where you are presently.
1: I I believe when I was a little girl, I wanted to be a lawyer. (laughs) Mm. And which is, which is odd that I'm not because I'm very analytical and I'm one of those You know, there has to be some proof there. I will make sure that my case is solid in any argument (laughs) before I bring it to anybody. So I'm surprised that I I was not a lawyer, but I realized how how hard I would have to work. Not Mm -hmm. that I haven't worked really hard, but that's what I thought about after a while. I was like, I don't know if that's what I want to be. But, you know, that's what I wanted to be when I was a little girl.
0: Okay, I mean, well, presently, you know, you advocate for others. So, I guess that still falls, you know, in line with that just a little bit.
1: Oh, yes, it does. It it definitely does. But I'm I'm really blessed for the career choices that I have been given and been blessed to provide out into the world. So, I'm grateful that I wasn't an attorney because I don't think I would have made as much of an impact as I've had enough, as I have had an opportunity to make.
0: Mm-hmm. I love that. I love that, okay, so tell us how you got to where you are today. Tell us your story of how you got here now,
1: so my life made a really a three sixty um because when I was growing up, I've always been a writer. I started writing poetry, probably I don't know uh, between eleven and thirteen years old. I had poetry published when I was you know my teens teens time time frames I know between anywhere between fourteen and eighteen and i went to an upper bound college program when i was in high school and i was the editor of our newspaper there or newsletter or what you know what we had so it wasn't shocking that you know i had a thing for writing and editing and creating content and making sure content got out there correctly and then i decided to join the military in which i was a medic which i worked in a pediatric clinic mm. and when I I got an opportunity to see and experience a lot of things that impact children from a behavioral standpoint with, you know, other case, specialized cases that came in. And, you know, that's a part of one of the things that comes through the pediatric clinic that not many people talk about. And so when I decided to go back to school after I got out of the military, I decided to go psychology, but on a prevention side. So I started out in family advocacy, and I worked with um, families and, you know, just doing domestic violence prevention, child abuse prevention, couples communication, just a wide range of different things, including crisis intervention. I Mm -hmm. spent some time in Philadelphia right after I finished my uh, psychology degree working in a school system with kids with behavioral issues, and it taught me a lot, you know, just working with kids and so this is all the past this is not even right now (laughs) but it's to me back then psychology and therapy was very taboo Mm -hmm. and when I was going to school I was getting my master's in marriage and family therapy as well as getting um my degree in health service administration because I wanted to go private practice but after I took legal aspects of health care and you deal with the HMOs and PPOs, long story short, that was not the avenue I wanted to take. Mm-hmm. So I did, um, you know, I went from family advocacy and I started at a training academy for when I went federal, I went to the federal government and I worked for the Bureau of Alcohol, Tobacco, Firearms and Explosives at the training academy in Glencoe, Georgia. And I pretty much had an opportunity to work in government and budget while I was there, and I had a knack for it, and that's what I spent 14 years doing in the milit in the for the military, well not for the military for the government. Mm-hmm. And decided last year, um, I just woke up after having my company my writing and technical writing company for for three at that time my company was three years old and i was like you know what i woke up convicted and it was like now or never it's time for you to make this big leap and bet on yourself and work for yourself because it was so strong that i knew something was coming from it and i was blocking my blessings by not you know by not listening to it Mm -hmm. so because i had originally had a two-year plan well that two that two year actually a three-year plan that three-year plan happened two years too early. <laughs> so, and I, I resigned from the federal government last year, November. And all of a sudden, so many things started to manifest where my writing intensified. I had an opportunity to become a media journalist and do media writing, adding on to the business writing that I do. And here I am now. Um, my books just manifested out of the first two books that I wrote I, I published one in 2019, November, and, of course, COVID killed that. And then the other one was I did one called Black Girl Activist, and that, I published that in March, but I realized I'm talking to adults. Mm-hmm. So I woke up, and, and in my sleep, everything manifested in my sleep for some reason. It's kind of weird. And this book series for children came to me, every title, and originally it was only five and I talked to a friend about it who's a therapist, and she's like a sister, and she's like, oh, you should do one for this, and this, and this, and next thing you know, it morphed into a 10-title 20-book series. (laughs) 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 Yes, yeah, very much so, but I'm really heavy on representation and authenticity, and I feel like as adults, so many things break us growing up, so how do we stop the cycle? We stop Mm -hmm. the cycle at giving children everything that they need. So I decided to publish the children's book, not just in English, but also French and Spanish, because I wanted to give a real holistic perspective of representation Mm -hmm. and show that melanin drips in many languages and and cultures, not just by the color of the skin or or one language.
0: I love that on so many different levels. And I mean, you know, I have children that are, from mixed cultures you know their their fathers and stuff, so when I see someone like yourself that is helping because you know representation completely matters, um, but you know helping to advocate for that and to bring awareness to that it, like it 's such a beautiful thing
1: I've, I've really found it important because so often people just relate representation to just skin color, and representation is really about culturally enriching um either you know children or adults that's really what representation is it's it's being able to see yourself and see the possibilities of what you can be and what you have only if you love yourself mm. because that's where it really starts at so I wanted to have children start to love themselves from the inside not so much focusing on the outside now the outside does matter but how you feel on the inside will dictate what you see out of the lens coming out from the outside, on the outside.
0: Wow. So, you know, I always love to, you know, learn why people do the things you do and, you know, you're an advocate for so many things and you believe in challenging, you know, social institutions and social behaviors and so on. Like, where does that stem from? What's your passion behind that?
1: I think my passion is growing up, you know, not fitting in. And in my book, I I wrote that, you know, I was socialized to believe that I had to be a certain way, not realizing that all I had to do was be myself. Mm-hmm. And being broken and toxic as a child meant, you know, on internally, see, one of the things that people forget is that just because one person looks a certain way on the outside and everything that they have on the outside from perception does not really set what's going on on the inside. And what Absolutely. I mean by that that is I excelled. I excelled academically. I excelled professionally. But I did all of that excelling because I did not want to deal with me personally. Mm-hmm. That's a huge difference. So I didn't focus on me internally loving me because i was so busy trying to find a way to validate who i was and i knew that i felt validated professionally i felt validated with what i was able to do for my life because i didn't feel like i needed anybody and there are things that people can't take away from me not realizing i was giving up so much of my personal energy into the wrong people
0: Mm-hmm. Into the, in the
1: wrong spaces. And that made me extremely toxic. And it made it led me down a very nasty path that did not make me comfortable or did not make me feel good about myself. And I knew it. I just didn't want to deal with it.
0: Hmm. I had read um, one time that like a, a trauma response is like well, one way of um, responding to you know what's going on on the inside is we become overachievers, right? We're we're focused on the yes. achievement of things, and we hyper focus on um, doing things so that we don't have to address what's happening uh, emotionally. So you know, it's great that you spoke to that because I'm sure there's so many women that are listening that could completely resonate.
1: Oh, yes. And and that's what I'm very upfront about. I think it's important that there's something called functioning Mm depressants, And there's also, you know, like you said, there's a high achiever, but you know, the weird thing is no matter how much I excelled because I never really dealt with me, I faced a lot of imposter syndrome. Mm -hmm. So I continue to think that the only way that I can overcome it is to do better. So I mm-hmm. was definitely one of those overachievers that, you know, anything that I set my mind to do, I could do it. And one day life just stopped and I had to say, I had to tell myself, you're going to have to deal with you. You really mm-hmm. need to deal with you. After I got out of a really abusive relationship for the third time and my, I got divorced and you know, God blocked it right there. But he taught me real quickly, you need to deal with yourself, deal with you now. And I took a break and really got to love who I am, like, really, probably too much.
0: <laughs> There's no such thing <laughs> as too much, it really, girl.
1: But it it, tra- well, it really just transforms, it transforms my life. And I really got to love who I saw in the mirror, who I woke up to. And I knew that I wasn't going to compromise. And I, when I wrote my book, I developed a theory called the um, the pedestal philosophy. It's a philosophy of mine where it, tell, it I was teaching women out here that be careful how you talk to your daughters because when you tell anybody, man or woman, you should be on that person's pedestal. That's not a healthy place to be because mm-hmm. I learned to sit on my own pedestal because I feel like when you sit on someone else's, you they you already letting them know that they can't measure up to where they're putting you so they have these high expectations and when you disappoint them it can manifest in the worst ways mm-hmm. because you're not perfect you're human mm-hmm. me sitting on my pedestal i've realized i am imperfect i'm not going to expect anybody to do anything that i cannot do the you know because that's unrealistic yeah So that's why I I felt like we need to sit on our own pedestals to show that there's a humanness to people and we don't want to be held to someone else's expectations.
0: See, this is the, the beauty in sharing stories. And this is what I love about even doing this podcast, because it doesn't matter, you know, who the woman is, where in the world she's from, her age, what her profession is. There's always some part of another woman's story that we can resonate with. And, as you were speaking just now and talking about your own journey, I completely resonated with all of that because I mean, I grew up just like yourself. You know that that kid that was like the overachiever. Um, you know, I graduated from high school and college with honors. You know, as an entrepreneur, I, I achieved accolade after accolade. And after a breakup from a toxic relationship and realizing that I have a, a history of them, <laughs> I was like, okay, what do I need to work on? And then going through that process of healing childhood wounds and being able to learn to love myself. And I'm no longer chasing those accolades or having those unhealthy relationships because I did the uncomfortable work of dealing with myself. You know, so there were so many things that you spoke to there that I was like, yes, yes, preach, preach. Wow. It's
1: it's a reality. It's a truth. It's not always a, a one that it's comfortable for people to admit to, but mm-hmm. I admitted that I was toxic. You know, even though people are shocked, they're like, really? I'm like, yes. Yes, mm-hmm. just because, you know, you see someone excel and overachieve, it doesn't mean that they're whole on the inside.
0: Mm-hmm. So what inspires you the most about what you do now?
1: Impact, you know, the impact in just seeing kids that, Oh, love my books and when I'm reading and they're, they are, they feel a part of it. Which is why when I developed my books, I gave them no names other than brown girl and brown boy. It's because I wanted every child to see themselves in some way, shape, or form. It's not necessarily that, you know, the, the children are brown on the cover. That's just the character. But when you, when you open on the inside, every child fits like those, feels like those words. Mm -hmm. They feel that the the strength that's coming through the words, I also have sight words in there, but I also have words for that kids need to understand. And if they don't, then parents should be able to explain that to them. I wanted to get away from downplaying children not understanding bigger words. My niece taught me that. She would say some things to me. I'm like, you know that word? And she was like <laughs> five at the time. <laughs> right. <laughs> but but I had to remember that we, that the children now are not the children of my time when I was right. growing up. Mm-hmm. And they are much more advanced because of technology. So I wanted to make sure and make an impact and an impact statement through Anything that I write, my, you know, from all of my books, being a Black girl activist, where I feel the need to change the narrative of, or be a part of changing that narrative and shifting that narrative of how Black women are seen. Mm-hmm. I I hate that there are so many stereotypes that's out there, which is my first book was I Am Not a Stereotype, I Am H-E-R, Her, and H-E-R resonated with so many powerful words because words really have a way of thinking in and inspiring us, motivating us, encouraging us, especially when you see it. And sometimes through books, you can feel it. And Mm -hmm. so I wanted children to have that, you know, that tangible page turner that may help them resonate from, you know, with the words on the page. Mm -hmm. That's why I do what I do. And that's what I love the most.
0: So on the flip side, like what keeps you up at night? Like When you're laying there in your bed and you're thinking about, you know, maybe the impact that you want to make in this world or something that you haven't been able to do yet, like what keeps you up at night? That I'm not doing enough,
1: which is so odd. You know, those Mm -hmm. are the things that keep me up because I'm always wondering if I am doing what I'm, you know, what I'm supposed to do because these children's books, I never had any intent on becoming a children author, let alone an author. <laughs> no intentions. When I published my first book, it was because as a speaker, you 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 know, you inspire people by your story. So, so many people kept coming up to me saying, do you have a book? And I was like, no. And then I started saying, I'm writing one. And I always journaled and blogged and all of those things. And I just decided to write my story out because so many people – was learning from it and being inspired by it and encouraged from it.
0: Mm-hmm. So I wrote,
1: hadn't had no intentions after that. And then this series morphed and it was given to me to do. And so I'm doing it.
0: Wow. What would be one piece of advice that you would give to a woman who's listening right now that I guess doesn't think that her story is big enough or important enough to put into a book or, um, you know, like some encouraging words, because I actually help a lot of women to publish um, their books, I actually partner with like um, celebrity ghostwriters and do the publishing behind the scenes. And it's amazing how many people don't realize how powerful their stories are, you know, and, and once you publish your book, whether it be your story or someone else's story, but being able to leave a legacy and to, you know, diversify your income streams and all those things. Like there's so many benefits you and I both know about um, publishing a book, but you know, what what advice would you give to a woman listening right now that is like, you know, I don't think I have something important to write about or my story's big enough. Oh,
1: I think for them, I would say, you won't know until you start to really evaluate because a lot of times we don't feel like our story is important and when we start writing it it becomes like therapy mm-hmm. it becomes re- realizing and recognizing that our stories heal who we are as we write it makes makes us and allows us to face the things that was the hardest for us to face so everybody has a story everybody Mm -hmm. nobody's life is, you know, a walking perfection. And so no matter how, no matter what you go through, when you write your story, it's it's going to hit somebody. Mm -hmm. It's going to. And so you won't know until you start to write. And that's what writing essentially is. You don't have to necessarily write a long book to write pieces of your life and create a blog around it but let it pour out of you. And the other part is you can't write until you are ready to deal.
0: Mm. You have
1: to deal because you're going to deal with you in your own writing in some way, shape, or form, but you can't be afraid. You can't be afraid of it. You cannot be afraid to write your truth out there. The last thing I will say is when you put your truth out there in a very transparent way, no one else cannot say anything negative about your life. Because you already you you've owned it.
0: Mm-hmm. When you
1: write it, you you a hundred percent own it, yes. and it's better for you to own your story than to suffer someone else to make make it up.
0: Yep, yep. Preach. <laughs> oh. <laughs> I agree just with. Just have to lay it you out you there. <laughs> <laughs> I agree with everything you just said. I'm sitting here trying not to snap my fingers. <laughs> <laughs> every single bit of it like you know
1: it because you i was going to say you wrote your story and it's a liberation it's it's a liberating feeling but it's a liberation of your life
0: absolutely absolutely when i when i wrote my first book in in 2014 um even when i put it out there but like the writing process in itself was completely cathartic that was like therapy sessions every time i sat down to write my story and there was one chapter in my book that every time i sat down to write I was an emotional wreck. I would ball my eyes out for the rest of the day, and I had to keep putting that chapter off until I was ready to deal with those emotions. Because, you know, that chapter was about the loss of my sister, but it helped me through sure. that grieving process. Um, and then even just putting my my truth out there, like you said, like, you know, people create stories around your life people will look at your social media and create a story about a picture not knowing what the true facts are but when you own your story and you put that out there like it's coming straight from the horse's mouth like nobody can't tell you nothing and that's why i'm such a huge advocate on women owning their stories not not allowing someone else to tell that narrative or from their perspective Mm -hmm. like have your truth out there. And even if someone else tries to come with a different perspective or their truth that they may try to contradict yours, you have your story out there.
1: Exactly. Exactly. And your truth is your truth and your perception of, of things and how they transpired in your life. The main thing is that you have to be honest about your story, even if it doesn't make you look good and Mm -hmm. it doesn't make you feel good Yeah, because what you, what, you know, what you can do is say, "If this made me a better person. Mm-hmm. Trust me, when I came out and I said I was toxic, and the decisions that I made were toxic, because I was living for everyone else, I wasn't saying that I was by no means perfect. I was saying that a lot of decisions I made was because I didn't want to deal with me.
0: Hmm.
1: Hmm. And there's a lot of women out there who do not want to deal with them, so they're so busy digging in other people's backyard and casting mm-hmm. just throwing stones. <laughs> but I'm like, yo, get your life in order because I'm good with mine.
0: Right. Yep. Yeah, yep. Yeah, I agree. I agree. So you spoke earlier. Um, I believe you said you published a book in 2019, but then you know the pandemic happened. Um, you know, with everything that's happened in the last, it feels like forever, but it's probably about two years at this point. Like, what has your journey been like since the pandemic? How has it affected how you serve?
1: Well, when I published my book in twenty nineteen, at the end, I published my book November eighth, but I and I did a pre order, so that's when I really started promoting and all of those things. So you're talking the end of the year when technically the pandemic was happening, we just didn't really know about it, mm-hmm. and so I had book signings lined up through all of 2020, multiple signings, speaking engagements, and all of those things got canceled. And at first I looked at it as, gosh, I'm so defeated with this. But I was also working at the time. I had a full-time federal government job, which is another transition that was very hard for me when you own a company, at the time I owned two. When I, when you own a company and you're working, you know, working at home already and then you mm-hmm. have to start working from home I found myself slipping into like a mini depression because I was like, okay, this is a lot. Normally I have a change of environment and a change of pace because Mm -hmm. I'm at work and then I come home and then I go to work again for a couple of hours. So that was very, that was really hard for me to uh, make that adjustment, especially as the months rolled on. And I had, but I had all kinds of opportunities. So I can't say that the pandemic, um, affected me from a professional standpoint. It mm-hmm. definitely only really affected me from a mental and emotional standpoint. I did take like five weeks and I went to my mom's and that really was was very helpful. It was stressful, but it was helpful. And But I had lots of media. I had started writing. I had journalist uh, opportunities. I got to cover the Stellar Awards. There was a so many things that was coming up to me that expanded my brand. Mm-hmm. And I think that's what made me wake up and say, you can do this. When you mm-hmm. leave your full-time figure salary job during a pandemic, I felt like, what is wrong with me? It's probably <laughs> the scariest leap of faith. I'm serious. The scariest leap of faith I could have ever taken. But mm-hmm. being someone who was in government budgeting and finance, of course, I was good to walk away, but I still had my plan. So I wasn't, I've not really Felt, and I knock on wood. I've not felt the difference in in my lifestyle and how I've had to live, but I do attribute it to God putting a lot of stuff in place for me to be able to be work in servitude for Him.
0: Mm-hmm. See, that's
1: the thing. And when I when I walked away, I walked away for Him, not for me.
0: Mm-hmm. And so
1: all of these things manifested for me, but the pandemic definitely took a toll on my mental well-being you know, after a few months, but as far as professional, it did stop me from promoting my book, but it served me in many other ways that would help me to get to where I am at now. I think that if last year did not cycle the way it did, I certainly would not be where I'm at now with as many um, opportunities and with as much impact that I would have
0: made. Mm-hmm. So you mentioned that the pandemic took a toll on your mental health. Like, okay, so what is your current state of mind and how do you stay motivated?
1: Oh, I'm super happy now. <laughs> <laughs> I am, but you know what? I'm going to, I'm going to share something. I've, I'm always I always believe in therapy there's not a time when I don't believe in therapy and mm-hmm. I've got that one of the things that this tra- this life transition taught me and I never thought that I needed was a life coach you know we we walk into several um, evolutions in our mm-hmm. life as you cycle if you're if you're driven and if you're ambitious you your your body and your your life, is evolutionary you know it's like Mm -hmm. oh it's going to change whether you want it's either going to change for the better or it can change for the worse especially if you're not taking care of yourself Mm -hmm. so for me mentally when i was questioning like wow i'm feeling some kind of way and then i got a life coach for this new transition in my life i mean i left my federal job it wasn't that it was a mental thing for me as much as it was I I need some coaching. I need a cheerleader. I need a champion. I need someone that's going to slap me in the face and say, if you don't get your stuff together, (laughs) Mm -hmm. you are great. Because you don't always feel that way. So I got a life coach, and God bless Life Coach Vaughn. She was absolutely amazing. And so at the end, I just ended my first cycle with her, and I told her, I'll be back on my next evolution of life. (laughs) But I told her, Well, I'm going to tell you what I did. And so I'm one of those, you could tell I'm a writer. So she sent me an email that said, "Hey, give me a review." And I did one better because I'm a blogger uh, and I write for I blog for several different platforms. I actually wrote a blog that was called "I did not need I did not think I needed a life coach until I got one that changed my life." Mm-hmm. That was probably the most transparent. Uh, piece that I did for myself without necessarily giving away how she, you know, how she does things. Mm-hmm. But it puts so much in perspective that I honestly did not think I needed one. I I love therapy. I feel like I need a therapist all the time in terms of <laughs> making sure that I'm mentally good. Nothing right. is wrong. Right. If I take care of my mental health like I take care of my physical health. If you go to the doctor once or twice a year, you should be going to a therapist once or twice a year. I'm a firm believer in that. But mm-hmm. there a life coach does something very different and coming from a background of psychology, oh, I never thought I would need a life coach. But I did get one and over the since from April until uh July, it was some of the most um transforming mm-hmm. uh a, a cycle of life that I probably needed. And mm-hmm. so mentally I'm I am in a great space and You know, when I feel like I am not, you know, there's – I do have a therapist for that. But, yeah, I think it's important that mental health is real, especially during the pandemic. See, on the plus side, I will say I did not have to do what many people had to face. I dealt with myself years prior to the pandemic, so I was good with me.
0: Right, right.
1: I didn't have to – I didn't – yeah, the only thing that was a hard transition for me is when you're creative – It downward spiraled for me mentally because I was sitting in one space. I was stagnant. I was stressed out. My job was already extremely stressful. But then trying to stop working at home, which never really let up, and then try to start working for myself and doing stuff. I'm up till 2 or 3 o'clock in the morning working, sometimes 4 o'clock in the morning, and then having to be back at work online by 8 o'clock in the morning. It mm-hmm. it took, it takes a toll when you're not sleeping. And when you are, my office at the time was down in the basement. So it wasn't a lot of sun exposure.
0: Right.
1: So it was, it just got to be a lot. And then you're home. And then my boyfriend at the time was still going out and going to work. And I was like, okay, I'm home by myself. <laughs> no, <laughs> you don't have people. You really yeah. don't have people yeah one of the things I did do is for a little while, a couple of days out the week, I had what is called coffee with coworkers, and so I opened up a zoom portal and sent the link out to different people that if they wanted to come on, just to have another body there while they work.
0: Oh wow, I did that, mm-hmm. and I
1: think I did it more for me than them, and so a lot of us, it helped us through the pandemic time too many of us went back to work. But we really need to make sure that we are upfront about how and in, in what capacity our mental health is affected by staying indoors.
0: Mm-hmm. You spoke to three things there that I want to, I want to touch on. Uh, one is um, therapy. So my show is like pro-therapy. Um, you know, I've had um women who are ministers who talk about yes, the importance of praying, but you also need therapy. I have women who are psychologists and um, you know, women who are nurses and all kinds of professional backgrounds that also come on and spoke to the importance of therapy. And what I love about all of you women who are open about therapy. Um, Because especially in the Black community, especially in the Caribbean community, things like therapy used to be looked at like a stigma. But it doesn't mean that there is anything wrong with you. It's like taking your car for an oil change. You know, you do it regularly to make Mm -hmm. sure that things maintain going smoothly. So I love that you spoke to that. So thank you for being transparent about that. And then uh, you spoke Uh, about coaching. So I... I mean, as a coach, I'm a mindset coach. So I love hearing the positive experiences of other women who are doing well, who speak to the importance of coaching, because I wouldn't be where I am today without mentors and coaches in my life. And I know the difference that I've made in my clients' lives um, with mentoring and coaching them. So when I hear women like yourself speak to the um, impact that coaching has made on you that makes me smile on the inside but also you know feel grateful for the industry that I am in and then you spoke to you know human connection during the pandemic because all these lockdowns you know I keep saying how this is affecting people's mental health you know as humans we need connection and being isolated isolated and feeling alone can lead to, many of us, no matter how positive and happy we are, you know, into these downward spirals, um, you know, into depression and things like that, because we feel so alone. So the fact that you created that space, you know, for people to not feel alone is such a beautiful thing. So I just wanted to, you know, touch on all those things. It's so amazing that you're doing.
1: Oh, thank you so much. I really appreciate it. Trust me. I love therapy and now I love coaching. So (laughs) (laughs) you, you really do. And I, because here again, I did not think I needed a coach. Mm -hmm. I never really felt like, well, I have a therapist. I don't, I don't need anyone else to talk to, but there's just something very different that a coach gives to you Mm -hmm. and lends for you to be inspired and pick you up because a lot of times our problems are not always mental. Sometimes they're just, you know, you get to a place where you feel um, unworthy to be doing what you're doing. And that's mm-hmm. not what you go see a therapist for. You, mm-hmm. you feel like, oh, it's my, it's, what is my real purpose here? Am I making the right decision? Should I do it when I'm dealing with friendships? I think you have to have an objective party like that when I'm feeling a certain way, especially with growth. I will say this, and I don't care who's listening, whether they know me or not. One of the things that I have learned about growth, real, true, solid growth and and elevation, you're going to lose a lot of friendships along the way. Yep, Yep. absolutely. They are not going to understand, and that that was my issue. It was realizing that some of the snide comments were still, con- were still negative comments at the same time. Mm-hmm. And my coach asked me, is that what is, is you consider that friendship? And even though I knew the answer from the time it happened, it's things that you don't really want to face. Mm-hmm. So I had to come to grips with some of the, the negative comments about my growth, even though they tried to dress it up like a joke,
0: mm-hmm. it was
1: still something that should not have been said.
0: Right. You know, with every joke, there's either some truth to it that they feel or, you know, whether it be jealousy or or what have you, but I always pay attention to how people speak and in the joke, you know, is it, is it like a, a, you know, a, a backhanded compliment? Is it, you know the sarcasm in it. I pay attention to those things because it really truly lets you know their headspace and how they really feel within that joke.
1: Yeah, I know. I completely agree. And you know that was it was just that evolutionary part that I really had a hard time with. I wasn't expecting myself to grow this way, but as I did, I I knew that I earned where I've gotten, and I cannot. Feel bad because other people are not growing and elevating. But I was told a long time ago that I would lose a lot of friends in this process, mm-hmm. and I don't usually use the term "friend" loosely. So I think I I hold that dear. The fact that I'm I've had to let some relationships go or not entertain, you know, things any longer. You know it. it I would say it hurt me because it, but it didn't, but, you know, my gift of goodbye is very very different, but I think it was for me, it was, it it put me in a place like I should not have ever had to be in this position. Mm -hmm. That's more or less what I felt. It didn't make me feel bad. It just made me feel like, really, I'm having to, you know, that, that hint of truth that's in your joke, I'm having to deal with because now that's not the kind of energy that I want in my presence.
0: Right. I've, I found the, the more that I evolve, um, like with every level that you're at, you know, you're going to have people that you attract that resonate with you. And then also those that you're going to start to repel because they can no longer resonate with the conversations that you're having with the vibration that you're on. So they may say things. And like I said, it, it's a reflection of their thoughts and their, their beliefs because they're not there yet. Like they don't have that awareness yet. So, You know the the opportunities that you have, the things that you do, or even how you begin to speak, or you know even walk or talk differently, because you're not on the same vibration as them anymore. You know it's it's unfortunate, but it's fortunate. You know you you start to shed, um, you know certain relationships, but it makes space for the ones that are more in alignment with who you are as you evolve.
1: Oh. I love that. I, yeah. I love the fact that you said it makes space. I I, I love that.
0: Mm-hmm. Yes. So, before we go to the final segment of the show, I want you to tell people where they can stay connected with you online.
1: I can be connected on all platforms at I A M D R P. G U R L E Y. I am Dr. P Gurley, and I literally mean that on every platform. And <laughs> you know, you can follow the Brown Girl and Brown Boy series at you know on Instagram, Facebook, um, and Twitter at Brown Girl and Brown Boy series. And I think it's for Twitter because the name is a little long. I think it's at B G B B series um, on Twitter. And I also have a podcast called Herspiration Happy Hour. Definitely tune in to that. Mm-hmm. With, uh, three amazing co-hosts that we, you know, the, the goal is to inspire and enlighten and shine light on women that are not necessarily out in the forefront, but deserve to be.
0: Hmm. I love that. I love that so much. Wow. So I will definitely have the links to all your socials um, in the detailed section of the episode so they don't have to search too far. They can just click and connect with you directly.
1: Okay, that and I will say go out and get my children's books. You know, they are on all they're online available everywhere from Amazon to Barnes and Noble Books a Million. If you just type in my name, Dr. Pamela Gurley or just Pamela Gurley into any of the search fields all of my books actually come up, but my children's books are very near and dear and special to me. And I think it's time that we start inspiring our children out here.
0: Absolutely. Make sure you guys go out and grab those children's books. So for the final segment of the show, I call it a walk in her wisdom. And it's just a couple of quick reflection questions, um, almost like a rapid fire. So you can share whether it be one word or one sentence, whatever comes to mind. Sometimes I break my own rules and ask you to unpack that, but here we go. <laughs> okay. <laughs> All right. Um, if you could have a gigantic billboard anywhere with anything on it, what would it say and why? Uh, it would
1: say, oh, my gosh. You know, I would. I think I would have my children's books on there, Brown Girl and Brown Boy. Um, you know, and I would probably do the Break Barriers. Love it. That's why, because I think that everything that I'm doing is breaking barriers. That's why.
0: Amen. Amen. Okay. What is a new belief, behavior, or habit that has improved your life in the last five years?
1: Uh, How about just in the last few months, I started back working out 30 minutes a day. (laughs) (laughs) I used to always do it even years ago, but I really just started back and It's really got my life feeling absolutely amazing. I'm more creative. So I would say, you know, going back and starting to um, dedicate physical health, you know, in terms of working out to myself 30 minutes a day.
0: Love it. Uh, What do you wish women would do more of?
1: Make time for themselves.
0: Mm. Name a book that has changed or greatly impacted your life. Uh,
1: The Condoleezza Rice book, the one that she wrote about her life.
0: Okay. And... Last but not least, what have you become better at saying no to in the last five years? And that could be distractions, invitations, family.
1: Anything that was not serving my purpose or matching with my energy.
0: Mm. Love it. That is the perfect (laughs) end to an amazing conversation. (laughs) Thank you so much, Pamela, for just sharing your truth with us. It was absolutely beautiful to hear. Um, I truly, truly appreciate you. Thank you so much
1: for taking the time to have me on, and, and shout out to Kev, who, you know, is just an amazing plug that, you know, got an opportunity to connect you and I together. So I really do appreciate you even, you know, at, you know, at his request and, and mention of me, you know, believing in me to be a part of your platform. I am truly grateful and truly honored.
0: I love it and that's what this is about community right we we can get further together so um yes shout out to Kevin we truly appreciate you Kevin <laughs> <laughs> and to all of you legacy leavers out there until next time subscribe on all platforms don't forget to rate the show and leave us a review i truly truly appreciate those of you that continue to listen to help us rank globally in the top 1.5 percent of most popular shows and that's out of over 2.5 million if you could think of (laughs) one person that would resonate with Hamlet's story today please share it with them Feel free to screenshot this week's episode and you can tag us on Instagram. You can tag Pamela at I am Dr. P Gurley. That's spelled I A M D R P G U R L E Y. And you can tag myself at The Real McKinney Smith. Continue to walk in greatness in your stilettos in a manner worthy of your calling.